Good morning. Welcome, church. It is wonderful to be here with you this morning. If you would stand with us, if you're able, if you would like to, as we sing. Just going to say a quick word of prayer, Kevin, if you wouldn't mind playing. Just prepare our hearts, if you would. You can close your eyes. You can keep them open if you'd rather. But just take a moment to close out the environment, everything around, distractions, things that have been on your mind. Just focus our attention on the Holy Spirit this morning. God, we're so grateful to be here in your presence, to be here in community with our brothers and our sisters. This is a precious opportunity not everyone has. Choose to take this moment to set aside the things that have been weighing on us, things that we're worried about, our fears, our anxieties, even things we're excited about or that we're looking forward to, God, in this moment, there's only us and you. You are enough. We choose in this moment to believe by faith that you are enough. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move freely in this place this morning. That whatever our plans, our agendas, the things that we have to sing, to say, to do, that you would have your way. That you would speak in and through those things or outside of those things if you wish. That when it's all is said and done, and we walk out those doors that we would know that you were here, you were speaking. It wasn't just another day, another service, another song, another prayer, another sermon, but a moment, an experience, a connection. Ask that you would open our eyes to see you, to see that you've been there right beside us every day this week, this month, this year, and the years before to recognize that even when we're distracted, when we're busy, when we're overwhelmed, you were there and you are here. So lend us your strength, your wisdom, your grace. Amen. Let's sing this together. We haven't sang it in a while, but I love the words of this song. They're so true. Sometimes I've said this before. If you're not feeling these things in the moment, you can still sing them by faith. These are truths that we declare based on the word of God, that even when we don't feel joyful, when we don't feel satisfied, we can sing it like a prayer. Like, God, this is what we're asking for. This is what we believe. Let's do it together. 
this call to worship this morning. I'll read to you from Psalms chapter 33. It says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Just 
together just one more time redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till i die amen No matter what you're going through this morning, there's one thing you can count on. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late working all things out you're working all things out oh yes i will lift you high in the lowest valley yes i will bless your name yes i will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days Oh, yes, I will. Sing that again. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now the waiting the same god is never late he's working all things out you're working all things out oh yes 
I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. And I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all that nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against. I choose to praise. Glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. Oh. My days, oh yes, I will. For all my days, oh yes, I will. Amen. Could I ask you to play? during our time of prayer. Uh, you may be seated, and this morning I was uh, thinking about, uh, sometimes I'll just kind of be open to where God is leading me during the prayer time, and um, as I was thinking about that this morning, I couldn't help but think about how just my my heart, my soul is just still recovering from uh, what has just been a really difficult week, mostly dealing with just sickness and, and all that kind of thing. But uh, I just was feeling like, ah, I just don't know. I don't really know um, where to go with, with this prayer time this morning when I just kind of feel like my own lack, my own uh, frustrations and difficulties this week. And as I was thinking about that and just trusting that God would um, still faithfully lead us through this time, even though if even though I felt like I didn't have a lot to give, um, I just felt like the Spirit was inviting me to pray us through Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23 is what kept coming to mind, and and so I just want to lead us through this prayer. Um, I'm just gonna open it up to the Lord to speak to us to. To guide us and to comfort us in the way that we need this morning, to just be present as we pray through this prayer. And as we say these words, I, I pray that the Spirit, through the presence of the Spirit, that these words could uh, find 
a place in our hearts, that there would be meaning in these words, but that it would all be uh, because of the faithful presence of the Holy Spirit. And so um, I just invite you to take a posture of, of prayer and of openness this morning, however you need to do that. You are invited to do that, but let's enter into this time of prayer together. And God, we just, we thank you that sometimes we just don't have the words. Sometimes word, our own words fall short. And we just find ourselves relying solely on your word, which really is where we should always be. It's a good and humble reminder that my words, the words that I put together should never lead the way, God, but it should always be coming from a place of truth in your word, what your word says. And so this morning, we, we let you lead with, with your word alone. And it is more than enough. It is more than sufficient for this moment, for where we are at, for where we find ourselves. And so God, as we work our way through this prayer, I pray that, that you would be present, that you would draw near, and that those of us who are just tired and find ourselves longing this morning, that you would pour out your grace on us. Help us to exchange our heavy burdens for yours, which is light. And so we pray this psalm. The Lord is our shepherd. We lack nothing. You are a God of abundance. We acknowledge that you have and you are all that we need. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He refreshes and restores our soul. Holy Spirit, would you come and restore our soul? Restore us, O oh God. Renew our hearts, our passion, our commitment, our willingness. You restore our soul. God, we thank you that you guide us along the right paths, all for your name's sake. It is very easy to go astray. We are sheep who love to wander. We know nothing else almost but to, to wander. We are prone to wander. So God, I pray in the mighty, powerful, holy name of Jesus that you would lovingly bring us back Guide us back to you. Bring us back to the path that you want us to be on. Guide us along the right path for your name's sake, for no other reason. God, we cling to this promise 
that even though we walk through the darkest valleys, even though so many of us walk through what feels like the shadow of death, whether literally or some, for some of us, it just feels awfully close. You guide us. You are with us. And because of your presence, because of your promise, we will fear no evil for you are with us. Your rod and your staff they comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil and our cup overflows. God, I know some of us feel like our cups are bone dry. My cup is bone dry. God, we rely fully on you. And we know, God, that even though when we feel bone dry, that we know that you restore us, you renew us, and that our cup can and does overflow. That not only do you fill us, God, not only are you enough to fill us, but you fill us abundantly with more of you and your love and your goodness and your mercy and your blessings. And so, God, I pray that I would move from this place of feeling like my cup is dry and there's just nothing there. God, would you fill me again with your presence, with your power, with your love, with more of you so that I can acknowledge that my cup does actually overflow. It's so good. It's so great. You are so good and so great. And you are more than enough that I need a saucer for that cup. Thank you for that reminder. God, surely your goodness and your love will follow us all the days of our lives. You chase us down. You find us out. You pursue us. You continue to seek us even when we aren't seeking you. We thank you for this promise that your goodness and that your love will continue to pursue us every day, all the days of our lives. And we thank you for this eternal promise, not just a temporary, momentary, momentarily promise, but an eternal promise that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that you are making all things new. You make us new. You are making us new. You make all things new. God, you never stop working. You never stop moving. You never stop pursuing. You are continuing to make us new 
to, you continue to help us to look more like you. And we thank you for this eternal promise that you are making all things right and that we can look forward to the day when you will be with us again. You will dwell with us again. We will be your people. You will be our God. We will worship you. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more anxiety. There will be no more depression. There will be no more feelings of overwhelmed or discouragement or frustration or hate. But God, we will dwell in the fullness of your glory, in the fullness of your presence. You are making all things new. You are bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And we wait patiently for you to continue to restore us. We wait patiently for you to continue to restore our world. We, we, we wait patiently for you to continue to make us new. And God, we look forward to that day when all of these promises will be fulfilled. God, help us to live each and every day with an eternal mindset, with a kingdom mindset. God, help us to focus less on what is temporary, on what is fleeting, on what is fading, on what doesn't even matter. And help us, God, to fix our eyes on you, on your kingdom, and on how you are bringing that kingdom here even now. And you won't stop until it's complete. May we find that same resolve to continue to work and seek until the work is complete. God, we rely on you for that strength, for that resolve, and you are more than enough. And we thank you for these promises. Thank you for your presence that is here with us in this moment. You are good and we love you. And we pray all of this in the name of our King and our Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Amen. It's amazing how uh, so, you know, elementary I feel like, but it's just amazing how when we go back to scripture, when we find God's word and we find the ways that it resonates, like even when we come up short, even when we feel like we don't have the words, God's word is enough to bring that truth to our minds and the words just flow in response. And so I'm so grateful for that this morning. It's truly a gift. It's a gift to be able to go to God's word and, and just use it because it's enough. And we try to use our own words all too often. And, and I'm just grateful for the richness of God's living and holy word. Well, this morning we are um, going to be wrapping up our series on spiritual disciplines. I saved the best slash most difficult for last 
Um, it's going to be, uh, I think, more helpful than what we might think. As I was praying about the spiritual disciplines that I felt like I should preach on this year, uh, this is one that kept popping off the page to me, and I thought, no, that one is just so difficult, and there are always so many preconceived notions that come along with this one, and I just would rather not. But I really felt like the Lord just kept bringing it to my mind, and I, I felt him giving me permission to uh, acknowledge that there doesn't have to be an agenda tied to this, that, that we're going to be talking about stewardship today. And, and the reason that it's so challenging and struggling is because oftentimes we tie some sort of agenda to the topic of stewardship, that we, we bring or the topic of stewardship or we approach the topic of stewardship with an agenda in mind. And I just want to tell you today, that there is no agenda, right? There is no uh, initiative or program or plea for anything today other than for you to be open and obedient to what God is saying. That's it. There is no secret agenda. There's no plan to preach on stewardship and the next week present some big thing to you that we need you to contribute to. There's no plan or agenda here. It's simply opening ourselves up to a discipline that we see all throughout scripture. Right? This is one of those that stands out. It's not one of those obscure uh, themes in scripture that you just see here and there and we're like, what does that even mean? But, but stewardship is all throughout scripture. What God has to say about how we spend our time, our money, our lives, that is woven all throughout scripture and this matters. And so often we neglect the topics of stewardship for so many reasons. I, I could go into those reasons, but I'll spare you. And I will just say that, that I had to, to really pray here this week that, that God would lead the way, that there wouldn't be this idea that there's an agenda in mind or that the pastor's telling me how to spend my time and my money, but simply it's, it's me submitting to what God says. It's me having to acknowledge like, how am I stewarding my gifts and my time and my money so that when I stand before the people of God, when I preach this word, that I know that God is working these things out in me too. Right? And so I've gone through that this week. I continue to work through that, and I just want you to know that. The goal here today, as I've kind of said every single week, spiritual disciplines, there are so many purposes, there are so many good things that come from so many spiritual disciplines, but the goal here is to continue to explore how we can better open ourselves up to God and open ourselves up to others. Spiritual disciplines, as I've kind of subtitled this passage, these are practices that transform us. These are practices that shape us and form us and transform us. And I just want us to be open to living in the ways which God has called us to live. And spiritual disciplines can help us with that. You probably hear this a lot. Uh, and I think, again, we tend to just have thoughts on this and strong opinions, but I just want to say again that stewardship really is so about so much more than just how you spend your money, right? And so much so that I think we tend to focus a lot on the, the giving, the financial giving aspect. I think both, both pastors, preachers, leaders, and congregants, like we can all kind of come to this topic of stewardship and just have our mind on how God is calling me to be faithful with my resources, with what he's given me. But I want to challenge us to explore this morning how stewardship is about so much more. And that for me, like, it is really easy 
easy is, is I say that loosely to, to talk about what God wants us to do with our money. But I think in some cases, and I've experienced this as a pastor, as a staff pastor, in some cases, I see where when people have the financial resources, they would much rather give of their money so that they don't have to give of their time. Like for some people, that is just as big of an issue. That, that if I'm, I'm resourceful and, and I'm well off and God has given me more than I need and I'm happy to give it to the church and then maybe I won't have to feel so guilty about giving myself, right? I served in a church where I felt like that was the nature of the church, that, that this was a smaller church, but a lot of the people that made up this congregation just happened to be really wealthy, well-off, successful people and they were very generous with their resources. They gave and we had big budgets. And this is during the time when I was a youth pastor. And, and I just remember coming into this church. I had just left a church that had like nothing in the youth pastor budget. Like we just had to get really creative and commit to lock-ins because those were free and people would make food for you. So you didn't have to spend any money, but they pretty much killed you for an entire week and a half. But I came to this church where I had this massive budget and it was amazing. And I was like, I can't wait to, to find so many cool ways to minister to teens and draw them in and connect with them. But over time, what I discovered is, wow, it's really difficult to have a big budget and like no help and no commitment. Like I really quickly grew tired and weary uh, with realizing, like, I understand that people want to give and they're giving and supporting financially the ministries of this church, but the staff collectively acknowledge, like, they're not committing themselves and their time and their efforts and their gifts. And that was really difficult. And so I've seen it both ways, right? I think the financial aspect of stewardship is important, but man, I tend to almost lean more on the other end where it's just like, I. I want us to commit to giving all of us to God, all of us. And then the, all of these things will come as a result. What I learned from that experience being a part of a church that had a lot of people that were willing, and they were wonderful people, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like they were just throwing money at us, like, you know, leave me alone. Here's more money. Don't ask me to do anything. It was just this mindset of the church, right? It was just the nature of this church that, that there was this kind of lack of willingness to commit and be, be supportive in other ways. And so as I was thinking about that this week, my mind was brought back to uh, different times in ministry where we didn't have the financial resources, right? But, but I think when a group of faithful, determined people who are, are willing to faithfully work to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And when we do so, whether we have the financial resources or not, it is amazing to see the ways that God shows up and provides miraculously. And I would much rather depend on God for what we need than people, right? And so I hope I share all of that so that you will hopefully hear my heart this morning, that this is about so much more than giving financially, okay? So for this week, I was brought back to an interesting passage. I think it's one of those passages in scripture that you, so like I imagine this being a part of your Bible reading plan as you're reading through the Bible in a year. And it's just one of those passages that you could easily, you know, you're, you're three chapters in at this point on this day and you come across this passage and you could just easily skip on over without even really thinking about it. That's one of those passages that I was brought back to this week. And it's going to be in Exodus chapter 36, but I, I want to kind of catch us up 
we know the story of the Exodus, right? We are familiar with the story of the Exodus. We, this is a story that begins with God's people who are oppressed in Egypt, right? And they call out to God, they cry out to God and God hears them, God listens to them, God responds to them, God draws near to them and he does so through Moses this once adorned prince of Egypt who has left Egypt. He has run away. He's hiding in the wilderness. He is covered in shame uh, and disgrace. So he thinks and he's hiding and God shows up to him and says, hey, I want you to go and lead my people out of Israel and into a land that I have promised to bring them into. And so we know that God does that. God miraculously delivers the Israelites from Egypt, from the oppression of slavery, through Moses, and he leads them through the wilderness, right? And he miraculously provides food and water and all that they need. He's giving them faithful direction. He's showing them every single step to take. And along the way, I love how, how we read that God is tabernacling with them right? Which means he is journeying with them. He is traveling with them. His presence is among them. He is showing them each step of the way. He's showing them where to go. And all along, he is forming them and shaping them. It's all very intentional. God's not just like, yeah, I'm just casually leading you through the wilderness and into this place, this wonderful, glorious place. But it's like, as we go, I'm shaping you and forming you to look like my holy set-apart people. I am forming you and shaping you to look like a royal priesthood, a holy nation that is set apart that will show the world who I am. And so we get to a point in Exodus 25 when God says to Moses, he says, have them, the people of Israel, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. God has already been dwelling with his people. It's not that the sanctuary was going to be this, you know, new place where God is going to dwell for the first time among them, but, but the people of God were seeking more space to worship and recognize God, right? To see and experience God's presence. And so God is, is responding to them and says, okay, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell with them. And so then later on, there's all these particulars that are like, you know, telling him how to set this sanctuary up and what all is entailed. And so we fast forward to chapter 35, and here's what God tells Moses. This is important. He says, take an offering. Everyone who is willing to bring, encourage them to bring. Everyone who is skilled and willing to come, have them come and participate. We read that everyone who was willing, among all the Israelites, everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them, they came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, men and women alike. I want us to really focus on those words. Everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them. This was really important. And so there was this willingness, there was this desire, this holy desire that make no mistake was put there by God. It was put there by God and the people responded. They came, they were willing to give whatever was needed to this project, to this ministry. And you will not believe what happens next. In Exodus 36, one through seven, we read this. 
So Bezalel and Oliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, listen to this craziness. They said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Have you read this story? (laughs) Have you ever read this story and, and paused and thought, huh, they were instructed to stop bringing money to stop showing up because not to stop showing up, but basically saying like, we have more than enough support. You need like, you got to stop now because we've had so much. Have you ever heard of such a thing happening? Have you ever heard of a story where people who were invited to give and to support had to be told to stop because there was so much giving? I Googled until my heart couldn't Google anymore and I couldn't find that story. I really wanted to find that story. If you have a story like that, you got to send it to me because I was Googling. I'm pretty sure my, my Google search bar was like, I don't know what you want from me. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Or it's just not been so popular that it's you know made its way to the interwebs. But I couldn't find the story where people were invited to give, whether it's, you know, a religious thing or a non-religious thing. And people were basically turned away because there was so much support that it was overwhelming. I'm being a little facetious here, but do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see how, how striking it is in this story that the people were told to, to essentially stop? Not like, go away, we have everything we need. There was still participation, but people were so committed to doing what needed to be done for this cause that they gave above and beyond and were willing to give until they couldn't give anymore. That is until they were told to stop because they have everything that they need and more. Do you know what I really loved about this story? Is that it it was just a few chapters ago. Like, it's mind-boggling to me. I'm like, wow, the fickle hearts of the people of God. Amen? (laughs) They are so fickle, those people of God. It's us, okay? (laughs) They're so fickle because just a few chapters earlier, these people got so tired of waiting on God to be God that they began to make idols for themselves. And, And we see Aaron saying, take your jewelry off. Let me collect your gold jewelry and I will fashion together something for us that is a substitute for God since he's taking so long to be God. 
That's essentially what happens. I'm paraphrasing massively. But it was just a few chapters earlier that they took what they had, their resources, their time, their willingness, and they crafted together idols to worship because that was satisfying in the moment. And God just takes a really long time to be God. So we're going to create for ourselves our own God that, that is here and, and now, sufficient enough for here and now. And those same people, those same fickle folks, take their jewelry once again. This is their resources. They take their gold jewelry, they take their brooches and their earrings and their rings, and they give them as a wave offering, a free will offering to God. God has sanctified their hearts, their, their gifts, their willingness, and they respond. And I find that so fascinating. But I also found that a little painful. As I think about how we too... All too often, we take what we have, our resources, our time, our willingness, our money, our investments. We take those things and we pour them into essentially false gods, things that, that satisfy us in the moment and have no kingdom or eternal advancement. Don't we do this? We do this every day in little decisions and choices that we make whether passive or impassive, whether intentionally or unintentionally. We take what we have and we put it towards what satisfies us in the moment. We invest ourselves in something. We give ourselves to things, don't we? Listen, I prayed about this and, and I didn't get to a clear place where I could do it, but I really felt like I could take a cheap shot here on Super Bowl Sunday to talk about the things we give our time and investment to, but I'm going to leave it at that. I'm sure plenty of pastors will do that. I don't know. I'm mostly joking, but, but truly, it's just a reminder. I don't want to throw all the, all the football fans, all the watchers of football under the bus because we all do this. That's just an easy target. We all do this. We invest ourselves and give ourselves to something. We put our time, our energy, our commitments, our willingness, our financial resources, we put all of that into something. And so often, not only is it not of God, it has zero kingdom advancement. And Jesus had something to say about this too. Jesus has so much to say about this. But the words of Matthew chapter 6 kept coming to mind. So the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about investing in this world, which is so easy to do, we do it every single day. Again, passively or impassively, intentionally or unintentionally, unintentionally, we do this every day. We invest in the things that are of this world that are temporary, that have no eternal impact, no kingdom advancement. And Jesus warns us against this, right? And taking just a a teeny tiny little snippet. He says, do not do this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Friends, this is so much more. This is about so much more than your money and your possessions. It is about that, but it's about so much more than that. 
Don't store up for yourselves all the things of this world that ultimately do not matter, that are going to be here today and gone tomorrow. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. In other words, invest. You're going to invest in something. You're investing in something. Why aren't you investing in what has the most eternal impact? Invest in the kingdom of God. I love how Scott McKnight says about this passage. He says, if the kingdom vision of Jesus doesn't reshape our approach to possessions or time, then we are not living out the kingdom vision. I'm going to say that again. If the kingdom vision of Jesus, I'm going to say, doesn't shape or reshape our approach to our possessions or our time, then we are not living out the kingdom vision. So what are we doing? He doesn't say that. I'm inserting that. If we are living to the end of our means and our time, and he clarifies, I'm speaking to the affluent West. I'm excluding the poor or the unemployed. And we have so little for the poor, so little left for others. If we are extending our budgets and our time banks and only giving what is left over, which by the way, a lot of times is nothing. And if we have not cut back on how we live, then we are not embracing the kingdom vision of Jesus. And to just put it simply, even though we could go in so many directions here, A kingdom vision looks like the people of God investing in what has eternal impact. Investing in what matters for eternity, what is bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. This should shape everything we do. Here's what I'm not saying, right? I just need to take a moment and release any shame that you might be feeling right now. This is not saying that you should never participate in hobbies or activities that really have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, right? That's not what we're saying. This is not saying that that everything you do, like literally everything you do should have some kind of connection to the kingdom of God. Like we all have activities and hobbies that are just kind of fun and really have no value in the grand scheme of things, but they're just life-giving for us. That is okay. I want you to hear me that, that I'm talking about how we live and form our lives, like what we spend the most of our time doing, what we spend the most of our investment, because again, we're investing in something. We're breaking our necks to, to give ourselves to something or to someone or to some cause. We're spending our resources to to further someone's kingdom, whether it's ours or God's. And the point here is to not make you feel convicted about watching the Super Bowl later. It's about how am I living my life? Like the majority of my life, how is my life investing in the kingdom of God and what truly matters? You know, it's again, it would be really easy for me here to talk about how, and this is true, this is still true, both things can be true, 
It would be really easy for me, and I think a lot of pastors, we, we are concerned that, that so many ministries of the church aren't possible without the faithful giving of congregants, right? That kind of goes without saying, but doesn't hurt to be said, that we can't do certain ministries around here without the financial support. Like, that's just basic understanding, right? And that is important. And again, both things can be true. That is true. But what's equally important to me and what is equally as concerning to me is that a lot of our ministries around here are not possible and, and will not be possible if people aren't willing to give of themselves beyond their resources. Like if people aren't willing, and, and this is just one example, but like we have to be willing to give ourselves to to the ministries that are, are growing up children in the church, like investing in our babies, our toddlers, our kids, our preteens, our teenagers, like they're also being formed and shaped by something. And so often it's not the church. We're being willing to give up a, a Friday morning, which is not possible for most people. I understand that. To, to go and serve along Whiteside students who are packing weekend lunches for their classmates who don't have food security over the weekend. That's a ministry that we do here. And again, not everybody can, people work on Friday mornings. I get that. But that is a ministry opportunity where, where you can give 15 minutes of a Friday morning, like once every six weeks or, or once a month to showing up and, and just monitoring the way that these kids are packing lunches for their classmates who would go home hungry otherwise over the weekend. And I also think about how people are often talking to me about different ministries that we could be doing ideas and new things that we could be doing. And most of the time I'm like, that sounds great. I just don't know who's going to do that. Like that all sounds really great. And I'm all on board. Find the people to do that and support that and be willing to show up and give to that. And, and we'll do it. If it's advancing the kingdom of God, if it aligns with what we're doing here, we'll do it. It's just as concerning. If not, I would dare say more concerning when we aren't willing to invest ourselves in what God is doing here through BFCN. And so my question for us is, what are we doing? And again, please, if you're feeling any shame right now, remove it. I don't want to induce any shame, but it's just a time for us to kind of collectively reevaluate, like, what are we doing what is the purpose of this? Why are we here? What are we investing in? And how is it advancing the kingdom of God? Here's the bottom line this morning. The Israelites, the same Israelites who use their gold for self-serving, self-giving purposes, for worshiping idols, for fulfilling momentary wants, their hearts were stirred by God and they were faithful. They were faithful. God is the one that provided them with the stirring. God provided them with the gifts, with the resources, with the willingness. And they were faithful in their response. 
They did show up. They did what needed to be done. They committed themselves to this project, to this ministry. They said, we are giving our entire selves, our families, our lives to what God is doing here. They gave themselves until it was complete. They were faithful. They showed up. They came. They gave. And God provided and God used their gifts and their willingness to to glorify him and to serve his purposes. One pastor, Pastor Nathan, said, in the Christian community, giving of your time and and treasures is how we often say that, comes when your heart is stirred and when you recognize that God is working in you to do something dynamic. And I just want to say that that is it. It's you responding to what God is telling you to do. It's you responding to how God is calling you to live. This isn't about uh, making anyone happy or pleasing other people or appeasing a pastor. This is not about checking boxes. This is about being faithful to what God is doing in your heart and how God is calling you to live. I think I've said this just about every week, and I have to say it again, that my words are not enough to move you. I just grow increasingly aware of that. I give so much of my time and my passion and I pour that into what is God saying to us? And it is important and it matters. The words do matter, but I also am so incredibly aware of how my words fall short and my words might motivate you for a few minutes, but they are not going to change your heart and they are not going to shape and form how you live and spend your time and your money. They're just not. I am not the person for that job. No one is, right? Only God can do that in your heart. Only God can stir in your heart. It must be God. It has to be God. And so I'm going to pause here and invite the praise team to come. And and we're going to enter into a time of of reflection and response. I'm going to follow up after this song with just one more practical thing. But here's what I want you to do. The, the, the kind of the takeaway today that I want you to take is, is that the practice or lack of stewardship ultimately reveals what's in your heart. And that might be a little hard to digest. It, it might, you know, offend some of us, especially if we know that we're not really being obedient to how God is calling us to spend our time and our resources. But the practice or lack of stewardship reveals what is in our heart. And I would say this morning that what, um, what you believe about God is seen in how you spend your time and your money. And I'll just let you think about that. What you believe about God is seen in how you spend your time and your money. If you believe that God is a God of abundance, then you will feel like there is no point in which you can't give or faithfully support whatever God is calling you to support because he's a God of abundance. He provides for us. He always has and he always will. He is faithful. It's not a a prosperity gospel kind of a promise. It's just that God is faithful. Whether you have exactly what you need or more than what you need, God is faithful. And so if we believe that God is faithful, that God provides for us, then we will give freely and openly trusting in God's abundance. If we believe that that 
pouring our lives into other people so that they can be discipled in Christ and grow in the love and grace of Christ, if we believe that that matters, then we will commit our time to doing that. If we believe that God doesn't let any moment go to waste when we're pouring into the life of, a, of another person, then we will give freely of ourselves, trusting and knowing that God is faithful. And so I want to invite you to just take an inventory. How do I spend my time and my resources? And what does that say about God? Next, I want you to think about and go and find for yourself, what does the Bible say about stewardship? There are so many things that the Bible says that I could not possibly go over them all in this moment. I want you to go find for yourself, what does the Bible tell me about how I steward my life? What does Jesus say about how I steward my life or how I am supposed to steward my life? Go find it, go process that in community and then ask yourself, what am I investing in and how is it advancing the kingdom of God? And that's what I want us to really reflect on in this moment. What are we investing in and how is it advancing the kingdom of God? And I just want you to be brutally honest because... There's no need in being dishonest before God. And I want to ask us to reflect on what is God calling us to do differently and how or what needs to change as a result. And so God, we trust you in this moment to do what only you can do, to stir in our hearts as we come before you open and ready to acknowledge what needs to be acknowledged in our hearts and in our lives. No words can, can do this for us, God, but we trust in you and in your stirring, a holy stirring, and I pray that we would be faithful in response. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand if you're able as we take this opportunity to respond and reflect in song. This is a perfect opportunity to reflect, it starts with acknowledging that he's worthy of everything, which is so appropriate. It moves to glorifying Jesus, acknowledging his greatness, and then taking that and applying it to ourselves. And we're going to sing through this, but I encourage you to think about these words, not just as words that are familiar that we sing and repeat but as what they really mean and what that looks like in our lives. Lord, help us to believe as we sing these words. May they penetrate our hearts. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you we live for you 
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We'll live for you. We live for you. no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me Go back to the beginning. This is foundational. If we don't get this, nothing else works. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Help us live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We'll live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. There's only one firm foundation. We sing this out as a declaration of faith.
exit the stage so you don't have to feel like you have to awkwardly stand for several moments. I, I just, I had to follow up with one important and I think um, helpful component here. Uh, I love how, I, I can't say that I planned this. I think there was like a holy mischief happening and I can see where this is so helpful, but it wasn't necessarily intentional uh, that we would finish this series and go right into the season of Lent. Uh, Ash Wednesday is this coming Wednesday. It's just so mind-boggling because it's so stinking early. Uh, but I do want to put that on your radar because uh, this Wednesday at 6.30, we will have an Ash Wednesday service. And I have been teasing about this for years, and I've been warning you about this for years, that I would love to get to the place where we kind of embrace the full tradition of Ash Wednesday, including with the imposition of ashes. And so we are going to implement that at the end of our Ash Wednesday service. And as I have kind of thought more about this practice, and, and not just because it's a ritual, we're not just doing it because it's some cool uh, ritual that a lot of people do, and we should do it too, but I have been blessed and humbled as I think about the rich intent behind the imposition of the ashes. I think it can be truly impactful. And so the rest of the service is going to be a little different than what, than what traditional Ash Wednesday services have looked like here in the past. And I feel really, um, 
I don't know if excited is the right word because who's ever excited to talk about death and dying and ashes, but I feel really hopeful that that God could have a really uh, encouraging word for us, even as we talk about the reality of sin and death. There's going to be so much hope there, I promise, even in Ash Wednesday. But I wanted to take this moment to help you to enter into the season of Lent intentionally as your pastor. It's really important to me as a pastor that if I'm going to embrace something, I'm not going to embrace it just because I should and because everyone else does. I'm embracing it because I think it matters. I think it's intentional and it can form us. And I think the season of Lent matters. I think all that is intertwined in the season of Lent is important. And I think that we reject it because it's so difficult and it forces us to come to grips with how our life looks and how the life of Christ looked. And and we don't want to acknowledge the differences, right? That's what the season of Lent is looking at our lives, looking at the life of Jesus, and confessing the difference, acknowledging the difference. And I want to invite you to think about, you know, I don't know, people don't really talk about their fasting practices, and I think that's good. That's fine. So I really don't know if a lot of people fast for Lent or not. But if you're one of those people that does fast for Lent, I feel really strongly uh, compelled to to acknowledge that fasting something for Lent should not be done for any other reason other than to draw you closer to God and to help you look more like him. Like, do not enter into the season of Lent fasting chocolate or coffee just because, well, that's the thing. I could lose a few pounds and I could do without the sugar and the caffeine. So that sounds like a good thing to fast for Lent. I've done that before. Like, don't, no shame. I've done that. I had a very weak understanding of what Lenten practices are for and and how they can shape us or just be something cool that we did. And and at the end of six weeks, we can be like, check, I did it. Look how awesome I am, right? And then we just fall back into like our addiction to chocolate, caffeine, and social media. But the very purpose of fasting something for Lent is to is to help us to be more intentional about what disciplines might be missing from our lives. And I think that is so helpful as we end this series on spiritual disciplines and as we enter into a season of Lent, where if you are going to fast, may it be so that you can incorporate a new or forsaken discipline. Do you hear me? I want to encourage you to pray about this and think about this, that that Lent is not just about letting go of vices, but it's about adding or recovering aspects of our Christian faith and our Christian practice that we have abandoned. So in other words, and the reason I have to say this now is because the next time I see you will be on Ash Wednesday, and we're not going to really talk about the fasting aspects on Ash Wednesday. And so I wanted to share that with you now. But for instance, if you give up buying sodas or coffee every day, right? Think about and ask God how you can, can use that, you know, what, whatever that money was that you were spending on sodas or coffees that you were purchasing and like ask God, what, God, what do you want to do with this gift? How can I be a blessing to you or to other people with this gift? Like may there be purpose in it, right? If you fast a meal, replace that meal with a feast in God's word, Like use that time intentionally, feast on God's word and let it nourish you and strengthen you. The point is, is whatever you decide to give up for Lent, if you are the person who does that, 
I pray that you will replace that with something intentional, with a spiritual practice or discipline that can renew your soul. Because listen, Lent is about repentance, and we're going to talk about that on, on Wednesday. But Lent is also a season that is meant for spiritual renewal. And I don't know about you, church, but I am in need of, some, of a spiritual renewal. Like we could all use that renewal. We need renewal. And so if you are open, this can be such a transformational six weeks. And I just wanted to invite you to think about that, pray about that, ask God to show you how you can experience that renewal during the season of Lent. I want to enter into the season intentionally. And I've committed myself to doing that. And so the whole season of Lent will look a little bit different. And and I'm really anticipating uh, how God might restore and renew us. Amen? So be praying and thinking about that. All right. Well, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. And before you go, I want to leave you with this benediction. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are loved. You are loved and you are called by God. And I pray that you would leave this place in the grace and peace and strength of our Lord, who is calling you and compelling you to to invest in his kingdom. And so I pray that as you go, that you will be open to the ways that God is encouraging you and challenging you to invest your life into furthering the kingdom of God. And may it be for God's glory and God's glory alone. You are dismissed. Have a beautiful day. See you Wednesday.